DW, Living Planet. Strap into your time machine and fast forward to 2035. And the United States has 100% clean electricity. No more coal mining, no more oil drilling and no more gas extraction. That's what the current Biden administration is aiming for. And it's what the world's leading climate scientists say is absolutely necessary as soon as possible to help avoid a boiling hot hell of a future. So what does this phase-out look like for people whose lifeblood is the coal, oil and gas industries? How can we leave behind these outdated energy sources without leaving the people behind? In today's episode, we're heading to the small state of West Virginia in the United States, where coal mining has been the industry for over 100 years. We're going to hear from a whole bunch of people grappling with this precise predicament about what's next for them, how they picture their future, and what they hope to gain from the shift. I'm Charlie Shield. This is Living Planet. And here's Kathleen Schuster presenting an in-depth report on West Virginia's exit from coal from Yulia Castine. A couple of sows and piglets grunt and rummage through an outdoor enclosure at a tiny organic farm in Mingo County, southern West Virginia. The farm is situated on a bare rock plateau jutting out of the scenery. Up until a few years ago, this was a coal mining area. Now, locals are using organic farming to restore the region's ecosystem and create new jobs for former coal miners. This is the view where you can see three states. Caleb Hanshaw points beyond a cow pasture to dense mixed forests of the Appalachian Mountains. Looking south, you can see as far as Kentucky, Virginia, and Tennessee. Cows and sheep are peacefully grazing behind Hanshaw. Chickens can be heard clucking a few hundred meters away. Hanshaw, a tall, heavyset man in his mid-30s with a reddish-brown beard, leads this high-wall eco-project. This used to be a strip mine about 15 years ago. The process is the, the mountaintop. They'll see where there's a coal seam within the mountain, and they'll completely extract the whole top of that mountain by blasting, um, but they'll remove that hole to get to the coal in an easier way. And they come back in and fill it in with fill dirt and hydro seed. But what happens is that invasive species start to take over. So the, the ecosystem becomes very imbalanced. This used to be, here's a good example of, of what we're doing. Hanshaw bends down and digs his hand into the dark so, soil. It's teeming with small bugs and worms. When they started this project three years ago, there was nothing but bare rock, says Hanshaw. Today, 11 different types of grass grow in the pasture. Farther along, they're cultivating cucumbers, tomatoes, and corn inside a greenhouse. Deer and various songbirds have returned to the area. And... We've never seen grass blow in the wind. This is the first time we've got to experience this, and it's just a, a stamp of approval for us that it's working. The grass got so high that we could see it and it's blowing and it's healthy food and they stay occupied. We don't have to bring them hay. Now they have everything that they need to eat. 
Coalfield Development, a nonprofit, came up with starting this organic farm right here. The organization has been working to build a post-coal future for West Virginia since 2010. For well over 100 years, this region thrived on coal mining. After Wyoming, West Virginia is the second largest coal producer in the U.S., even exporting the resource to Europe. But the heyday of coal mining is long over. Today, West Virginia's 2 million residents are some of the poorest in the U.S. Life expectancy is the lowest in the entire country, and the opioid crisis has taken a particularly large toll here. That's why for Hanshaw, employing West Virginians is a big priority. He currently has a dozen crew members on the payroll. They used to be in the coal mines and that industry is fading, or they're come out of prison, or they're substance abuse in their history. And they just need um, a chance. Like James Daran, who was out in the blazing heat with a few co-workers, erecting a fence around a freshly planted herb garden to keep deer out. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of deer up here. James is a gaunt man with dark circles under his eyes and a slightly graying beard. I used to work underground. The mines I was at shut down, they laid me off. So I decided I wanted to try to do something else besides coal mining. The 32-year-old lost his job a few months ago. These days, Darren works 33 hours a week on the farm, earning $14 an hour, half of what he made as a miner. But Coalfield Development is also paying for him to get a degree. In addition, Darren spends three hours each week with a personal development mentor. And, somewhat unexpectedly, Darren really enjoys farming. I love this. I never thought before coming here and yeah if I could have a career probably doing this that's probably what I would choose because this is really great. Darren's great-grandfather and grandfather both worked in the coal mines. His brother still does and so do his friends. He says that out here there aren't many other job opportunities. No they're no there ain't they ain't they don't look to get I don't look for them to get out mining anytime soon. It was pays the bills. Darren says it would be great to see the local economy diversify, but like many people in West Virginia, he doesn't think a coal phase-out is realistic by the middle of the next decade, the way the Biden administration is planning. I mean, overall, yeah, I mean, we'll have to get away from fossil fuels eventually. Eventually, they'll all be used up. At some point, now when that may be, that could be two, three, four hundred years in the future. I don't know. The Biden administration is helping finance the organic farm. It's one of many projects targeted at slowly reducing the region's economic and societal dependence on coal. Marilyn Wren is Coalfield Development's chief development officer overseeing its finances. West Virginia has lost so many of the mining jobs already, and the mining industry has shrunk considerably. Some of our coal counties really aren't coal counties anymore, but they just haven't figured out, there's not been investment in helping them determine what they are now and what the possibilities are. From just over 100,000 mining jobs in the late 1990s, only 13,000 remain today. But while this decline has continued for two decades, there still aren't many other industries to work in, says Wren. There were efforts in the past to retrain you know, computer coders, software, different types of you know, machining um, for different industries. The problem was that these industries did not coexist alongside the coal industry in our most impacted counties. So for people to 
make use of the training, those new skills, they would have to leave, which a lot of people have done. Coal Development is trying a different approach. Ren says their projects aim to keep West Virginia workers in the region and engaged in industries with a future. There's a local company installing solar panels, for example, a market selling organic foods, and a construction company specialized in sustainably renovating abandoned houses and factories. Some 700 new jobs were created in recent years. So it's sort of this multiple-faceted message in terms of of rebuilding and taking something that was a liability and turning it into an asset, whether it's a person or whether it's a building, a community. So it's it's a, a, a kind of a philosophical choice there. Today, Charleston Regional Airport is a hive of activity. Half a dozen small propeller planes are readying takeoff. Well, good morning. Good to finally meet you. 60-year-old Vernon Haltom, who heads Coal River Mountain Watch, a local environment group based in Naoma and the heart of the coal mining region, will be aboard one of them. There are some places that we're not able to see very well with our drone that are presently in violation of some of the rules and regulations. And I want to see those, see what progress, if any, has been made in, in repairing that damage. And I want to uh, see the extent of another site where the company has only within the past couple of years started working and see how far that has gone. Uh, That permit is up for renewal. Uh, I've submitted comments opposing it, and I want to get a good view of it to also let the citizens of the area know what's going on up there. Because some of these places are really uh, difficult to get to on the ground. And they're off. Scott Simonton, a university lecturer, is piloting his Cessna airplane with Haltom in the back seat. They're heading south. Below, the Appalachian Mountains are covered in thick forests of oak, beech, maple, birch, and tulip trees. Though here and there, mountain peaks stand out like grayish-brown wounds. Haltom films the area surrounding the 1,000-meter Coal River Mountain Peak. It's one of West Virginia's largest mining areas, spanning some 30 square kilometers. That's the equivalent of over 3,000 soccer fields. An enormous grayish-blue body of water stretches out beyond the coal spoil heap. This sludge dam contains 30 billion liters of toxic coal slurry. Further along, Halt points out series of holes drilled into the rock to insert explosives. Then we see a thick plume of smoke rising into the sky before dissipating into the valley. Miners have just blasted off a part of the mountainside. So this is one of the few sites where you can drive right up to it. An hour and a half later, some 80 kilometers south of Charleston, Halton steers his rental car off the highway onto a gravel road. After a hairpin turn, the forest ends abruptly, and we face a shocking sight. There's nothing but rubble, debris, and a few small pools of blackened water. This is the result of years of mountaintop removal mining, says Haltom. Uh, We're driving right onto a mountaintop removal site. But what you see is where they've blown this mountain up. All of this was like that, where you see the trees and so forth. We're in a, a rocky, dusty, gray and tan wasteland uh, with piles of rubble, dozens of feet high, 
um, with pools of water that are polluted and black and where it runs into the creek and damages the, the water quality for decades at least. 500 meters farther up the slope, we can see a huge bulldozer pushing boulders out of the way. This is Maple Eagle Mining Complex. Last year, Blackhawk Mining Company said it blasted and dredged 800,000 tons of coal from surface and underground sites here. The mine is nowhere near depleted, and if extraction continues, this could be a disaster for our climate, says Haltom. So mountaintop removal is uh, kind of a double whammy when it comes to the climate crisis. I say it's the cradle of the climate crisis because it destroys these carbon sink forests while extracting coal. So, I mean, even if you don't live here, uh, where you're going to be breathing the toxic dust that blows off of these sites from the blasting and bulldozing, even if your uh, streams aren't poisoned, even if you live in Washington, D.C. or London, you're still affected by this because we all live on the same planet. Haltom's colleague, Junior Walk, can't wait to see coal mining end. The 34-year-old hails from Eunice, a tiny town in West Virginia. So we're in Eunice, West Virginia, the town I grew up in. That's actually the house I grew up in. Um, Walk, sporting a pigtail, beard, and dozens of tattoos, points to a gray house with a small pool and overgrown garden. This is where he once lived with his parents. In 2019, they started blasting the mountain above the town. You know, I could I could take a, a record and play it on my turntable, and then within 24 hours, you could, like, try to play it again, and you just couldn't for the dust on the top of it. As a child, Walk attended Marsh Fork Elementary School. It was located just below a massive mountaintop removal mine. The open pit mine still exists today, as does the coal preparation plant. Walk's former school, however, has relocated. He points out a red low-rise building and the deserted playground behind the wire mesh fence. You could hear them loading the coal trains, like, one right after another, right after another for hours. Um, and it was hard to concentrate on anything. And yeah, I can remember being out in that playground there and just watching like coal dust just settle in on, on everything. Um, and even then, as like a young child, I knew like that that's not good, that that's probably a problem. Studies show that rates of cancer and birth defects are much higher in communities near coal mines. That's why the Coal River Mountain Watch Citizens Group spent years pushing to have Marsh Fork Elementary School relocated. Part of the open pit mine, after all, also holds a 10 billion liter basin full of toxic coal residue. Yeah, this it's not theoretical. This is a real, a real thing. They've failed. I mean, in 1972, the one at Buffalo Creek failed, killed 125 people, left 4,000 people homeless, and nobody heard about it outside the area. Uh, Haltom's referring to a major accident at the nearby Buffalo Creek open pit mine in the 1970s when a retention pond dam burst, spilling 50 million liters of sludge into the valley. 125 people died. Walks Elementary School was only relocated after yet another such disaster, the Upper Big Branch accident, which left 29 miners dead. It happened just a few miles down the highway. The manager at the time was sentenced to one year in prison for ignoring safety regulations. Even so, Walk doubts the Biden administration is serious about phasing out coal. 
I've heard too many lies from too many politicians over the years to hold my breath on that. I'll believe that when I see it. I'd like to see it. I'd like to see that timetable moved up quite a bit because we ain't going to have much left around here by 2035. We do, that's our last stop, though. We, we, Buddy McClure is waiting beside his blue SUV parked on Upper Mud River Road in Lincoln County, West Virginia. Oh, that's, that's as far west as they came, right there. This is how far Hobet Coal Mine, West Virginia's largest mining operation, once extended. The site, spanning an area of nearly 50 square kilometers, was operational between 1974 and 2015, with coal extracted underground and later through mountaintop removal. Mm, no, I worked for them all my life, yeah. Mm, worked construction. I'm, I'm self-employed. McClure used to cut down trees to prepare the area for mountaintop removal mining and help out wherever he was needed. He's sad to see the coal industry in decline. Sad, sad. There's more coal than there's ever been. 100 years, 200 years. Yeah, that is, that's the environmentalist side of it. You know, that's that's what they're looking at. But they'll tell us anything. And they have told us so many things that's not true without any facts. If you had facts, everybody would listen, but they have none. McClure, a born-again Christian, says man-made climate change is a myth. No, I don't believe that. My faith wouldn't let me believe that, so uh, my faith in Christ. At its peak in the early 2000s, Hobet Coal Mine produced 5 million tons of coal per year. Now there are plans to transform the site into West Virginia's largest solar farm. Yeah, I think it's a super good idea. They've already supposedly had built a $39 million bridge across What an exciting day this is for Boone and Lincoln counties. In April 2022, construction of the Sun Park solar farm was announced. The 1,200-hectare site was designed to generate 250 megawatts of power, enough for 40,000 households. The site was also to feature an industrial park, vacation homes, and miles of trails through the re-naturalized mountain terrain ideal for quad biking, one of West Virginia's biggest tourist attractions. Ron Stallings, one of the few Democrats serving in West Virginia's Senate at the time, enthusiastically endorsed the project. But one year later, much of this exuberance has vanished. In the small town of Madison, east of the Hobet Mine, Sam Burns is just getting off work. The 72-year-old works as the Boone County Circuit Clerk, which means he's effectively the county court's administrative head. Boone County Courthouse is an imposing neoclassical building with a conspicuous golden dome. The building dates back to the early 20th century, when the region grew rich from coal mining. Probably it's been about three months it started picking back up. Uh, Coal severance is coming back into the county, which we can use in our courthouse to run our our county's uh, infrastructure here. After years of decline, the mining industry is picking up again, says Burns. Global energy shortages and the war in Ukraine have triggered a mini coal boom, as Burns can tell from the number of trains leaving the region. We've got approximately four to six trains a day leaving, leaving this area, where we was down to maybe one a, one a week or two a month. Which is good news, as his county receives tax revenue for every ton of coal mined. Many people's families here have close ties to the coal mining industry. Well, my father uh, in 1956 was a coal miner and was killed in the mines. And, of course, my brother and myself, Ernie, went off to college and came back and went into coal mines. And 
we become superintendents and mine foremans and I became a, a, a coal mine owner, operator. For a while, Burns's mining operation led the U.S. in terms of coal production. He employed some 60 people at the time. Burns can hardly imagine a future without coal and says people are skeptical the planned Sun Park solar farm will ever become a reality. With this holdup now, they've, they've got their doubts that it'll ever happen. He says construction work has been halted and nobody knows why. Solar and wind power only make up about 5% of West Virginia's energy mix. Most electricity, about 90%, is generated by its 10 coal-fired power plants, some of which are decades old. Dorsal Turner starts up a former mine car at West Virginia's Beckley Mining Museum. He's taking tourists into the dark, narrow mining tunnels on a tour that delves into West Virginia's mining history and traditions. Turner and the visitors are certain coal still has a future. Some people think that coal has no future, but it does have a future. Our government (laughs) is against it. Yeah. They're destroying Uh, our nation because of it. In May, the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, or EPA, issued new guidelines requiring gas and coal-fired power plants to significantly cut CO2 emissions starting in 2030 and to reduce them to almost zero by 2040. To achieve this, the EPA wants to see energy companies rely on, quote, proven, readily available technologies, such as carbon capture and storage, or CCS. This entails extracting greenhouse gas at source and storing it underground. But, so far, CCS has only been trialed in studies and a few pilot projects, says Samuel Taylor, director of the Energy Institute at West Virginia University. We've seen technologically that, yeah, we think we have some answers there, um, but, but it is terribly expensive. President Biden's Inflation Reduction Act provides a total of $370 billion in investments in green technologies. One company that wants to tap into these funds is Maryland-based Competitive Power Ventures, which wants to build America's first gas-fired power plant in West Virginia with CCS technology. The mission really has been to um, modernize the electric sector through building um, the latest technologies available So we have a history in building uh, wind farms. Uh, We have solar projects under construction. We have a number of operating natural gas combined cycle power plants, all of which have come online in the last several years. Uh, So some of the most efficient technologies available. Uh, And now we're getting into this carbon capture space. That's Competitive Power Ventures spokesperson Matt Lichtfield. The company's CCS gas-fired power plant is projected to cost $3 billion and will generate enough power for 1.8 million households, enough to supply all of West Virginia. The state offers ideal topographical conditions for the project, says Lichtfield, and it's one of the few states that has already created the legal framework for the new technology. On top of that, there's the money from the Inflation Reduction Act. It would have been extremely difficult to do it without it because you don't have the uh, ability to recover the investment, right? So adding carbon capture doubles the cost of the project. And so the Inflation Reduction Act really helped the economics work for this project.
The new power plant is to begin supplying power before 2030. Some 2,000 workers will be required during the construction phase, says Lichtfield, but only 30 people will be needed to operate the plant. Overall, he says the region will benefit from the project. You know, the economic development aspect、um, makes it very attractive, and really providing this reliable source of power that can attract other, you know, commercial industrial customers.、Um, To come to the area and invest in the area, but whether CCS technology can also be used with existing coal-fired power plants remains to be seen, says economics professor Taylor. Once it moves off that, you know, university paper study kind of level, when you say, okay, who's writing the check? That's where the decisions get a lot harder. And whether West Virginia will actually meet the new CO2 emission guidelines is questionable too. It's already preparing legal action against them. That's the sound of punk metal band Crown the Witch from Charleston, West Virginia. I'm working from home as well today. And that's Crown the Witch's guitarist Rusty Williams, the 44-year-old wearing all-black clothes, fingernails painted black, sporting tattoos and a nose piercing, works for the American Civil Liberties Union, a civil rights group. Williams once ran in the West Virginia parliamentary elections for the Democrats, but lost. I'm a cancer survivor. That's how I got into.、Um, In 2012, Williams was diagnosed with cancer, but because he didn't have health insurance, doctors postponed the necessary surgery for weeks. He says this experience turned Williams into an activist who now campaigns for high-quality, affordable health care for all and the legalization of cannabis. When Williams first underwent chemotherapy, he turned to cannabis, which is an illegal substance in West Virginia, to deal with the side effects. He instantly felt better. That flower played a huge role in in getting me through those treatments. Williams also thinks the plant could help West Virginia's economy as its coal industry continues to decline. Unlike several other U.S. states, West Virginia bans growing cannabis for recreational purposes, and while cultivating industrial hemp is legal, it's subject to strict regulations. Williams says the region's coal mining industry and political establishment are deeply intertwined. West Virginia's Republican governor Jim Justice and Democratic Senator Joe Manchin, for example, have earned millions in the coal mining industry. You know, the same folks who are are padding the campaign accounts of our elected officials are also supporting the coal and chemical industries and、uh, you know the media here. So they've got a, a real stranglehold on not just. Uh, the policies they push, but on the narrative behind those policies, phasing out fossil fuels like coal and gas could be an opportunity to break up these structures, says Williams. West Virginians are walking around on some of the richest ground in the entire country, and、um, you know I don't think it's I don't think it's a an accident that、um, we are we are some of the most broke people in the game.、Um, you know it's it's by design here, and I think that we have an opportunity. To shift the the narrative and hand the power to the people, rather than out-of-state、uh, coal barons and chemical corporations that have basically been robbing us of our natural resources and and leaving us with massive messes to clean up. 
Scott Sparks opens a rusty gate leading to Fairdale's Maple Meadow mining site in West Virginia's southeast. For decades, hundreds of miners worked here, extracting coal for the steel industry. Sparks, a former mining engineer, was one of them. But in 1997, mining operations were shut down. Today, the hilly terrain is overgrown, boulders, bushes, grass, and a few small pools cover the site. Sparks plans to establish a salmon farm right here. The idea was hatched by 72-year-old Austin Caperton. He ran a family-owned mining company until the coal was depleted. Then, Caperton served as West Virginia's Secretary of Environment. It was in this role that he realized many of West Virginia's abandoned mining shafts hold cool, clean water, providing ideal conditions for salmon farming. My focus is what can Southern West Virginia do that can bring jobs and create jobs that otherwise aren't going to come here. We have billions of gallons of waters sitting in reservoirs underground, already cooled and already filtered as it, as it seeped through the earth. And we've got the people. The salmon farm could create 100 jobs, where once well over 400 coal miners toiled. Fish farming alone clearly won't make up for the declining coal industry, says economics professor Taylor. But that's not a bad thing. On the contrary. You know, from my perspective, that is the kind of grassroots economic development that we need. And this has been a little bit of a trap of a lot of economic development, particularly in rural places around the United States, is that you tend to get these sort of mono industry, you know, this one large employer that supports the entire town. And if something bad happens, then, you know, bad things happen. Caperton hopes the first salmon will be ready to harvest by 2026. They're planning to produce and process 10,000 tons of salmon per year. Caperton hopes many more fish farms will follow. After all, he says, West Virginia has plenty more disused mines with sufficient water to operate 30 such facilities. It's very powerful to think that you might start a project that would you know, create a legacy and give hope where there is not much. Scott Sparks, budding salmon farmer, with the last word in that in-depth report by Yulia Kastein, presented by Kathleen Schuster. And that's all for this week's episode of Living Planet. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week with more environment stories from around the world. 